I can yell loud. There we go. All right. Uh, I love tea and breakfast burritos too, JJ. So anyone else drink tea and, uh, with a breakfast burrito? Really, Johnny? Okay. I haven't done that, but it feels like something. If JJ does it, it's probably worth experiencing. So, uh, well, how are we, guys? Wow. Okay, so not so great. Not popping. Okay. Well, here's what I learned about UCCS students recently. Um, you guys have this thing called Labor Day weekend. It's pretty much Labor Day week for you guys, I've, I've learned. Because, like, half of you took off, like, last Wednesday, and you just got back, like, 20 minutes ago. I don't know how you're enrolled in college. It's like for the rest of the world, it's like a three-day weekend. We're pretty like pumped about that. For, for you guys, it's like, I don't even know if you're college students, how that's working out for you. But um, really glad that you're here. If this is your first time at Crew, welcome again. Uh, we are so excited um, for you to be here. And I'm just curious, though. I just want to learn the room a little bit, who's in here. Um, just, just show me by, by your hands, whose favorite season is fall? What the heck do the rest of you guys like? Summer? Oh my gosh. Well, uh, frankly, I'll be honest with you. I don't know how you could have another season that is a favorite other than fall. It's, it's, it's objectively the best one. Um, am, I, am I right? Yes. Yeah, you fall lovers need to be loud about it, right? Like, the trees are changing colors. Uh, they're not just boring green all the time. Like, you get the splashes of red and orange and yellow, like, awesome looking. Um, football season happens, right? This is a good thing. Um, you get to break out jeans and flannel again, break out your jackets. Um, you don't have to worry about pit stains as much like at that time of year, which is a, a kind of a big deal for some of us. Um, let's be honest, first year getaway happens in the fall, um, and, even, and even better, uh, I mean, first year getaway is good, but um, you don't even know about this yet, but fall retreat happens next month that we do, cruise fall retreat. Um, uh, PSLs are back. Does anyone like those, right? Like, Pumpkin spice, okay, like two of you, okay, that's not like a bunch of a thing anymore, but pumpkin everything, right? Your pumpkin breads, pumpkin whatever, um, pumpkin tea probably, pumpkin breakfast burritos. Um, we get to do ultimate pumpkin at fall retreat. Some of us have experienced this. Um, everything just smells better, I think, in fall. It just smells better. Um, it's just true. You get to light candles, uh, not in your dorm room though. It, that's like not allowed, but you can do it anyway because we all do. Um, you got you to gotta get the vibes on, so... I didn't say you could, but I did. Um, every month of the fall has a holiday. Do you realize this? Like September, Labor Day, October, Halloween, Thanksgiving. Is Christmas considered part of the fall still? And just, I don't know. But every month has a holiday. Like it's just the best. No other season has that. Except for your like made up holidays in the other seasons. Um, so honestly, I just don't know how fall could get any better for you. And of course, one of the unique days during the fall is this day called Black Friday. Any of you guys do Black Friday, participate in that? Well, you know about Black Friday, right? It's the day after Thanksgiving. Um, on Thanksgiving, you, thank, you, you celebrate what you're thankful for and you know, how you're really satisfied with everything you have. And then on Black Friday, you act like an animal and you, get into, you, like, you stand out, outside of a store and they open the doors and then all of a sudden, all these grateful people who were grateful like four hours ago at dinner, now they're like psychotic and they're like punching people in the face and like running people. Like, have you seen this? And, like, Oh, it's crazy if you haven't watched some of these Black Friday videos. Um, and they do it all just to get a little bit of a discount. And it's pretty amazing. 
It's pretty amazing what obstacles people will overcome on Black Friday to get something that they want. I mean, they will run harder. They will, they will cut your throat, basically, to like, just to get that, that like, you know, little doodad for 10 bucks off. It's crazy what people will overcome. And tonight, we're going to look at a passage where people encounter obstacles in their way to getting to Jesus. They encounter obstacles in their way to getting to Jesus. I wonder for you, what obstacles are keeping you from getting closer to Jesus? And what lengths are you willing to go to get those obstacles out of your way? So turn with me to Mark chapter 2, and uh, let me pray. We'll get started. Mark chapter 2. Father, we pray that you would, um, you would speak through your word tonight. Father, that you would give us ears to hear you, eyes to see Jesus, and hearts to understand God. Lord, would you convict us where we need conviction, and um, God, encourage us where we need encouragement, and, and ultimately, Lord, would you help us even see where there are obstacles in our way to getting closer to you? And uh, God, how you're calling us to perhaps even remove some of them so that we can continue to move towards you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Are we enjoying the gospel of Mark, those of you who have been here? Are you liking this? Too bad, we're going to keep going through it. I lo- man, I've been loving it. It's been so fun. Uh, talking about it in community groups um, has just been really great just to process and hear how God is speaking to uh, each of us in different ways and meeting us in these passages. And I just, I love Gospel of Mark. It's awesome. But all right, here's where we're going to go, though, in this passage. We're going to see two obstacles that stand in the way of people getting to Jesus. Two obstacles. And then finally, at the end of the passage, we're going to see Jesus reveal his identity a bit. And if you don't know this, if you don't know about the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark and the other uh, three other Gospels, they, these are eyewitness accounts about what happened during the life of Christ. These aren't like made-up stories. These are like testimonies, accounts of what people saw and heard. Um, And so as we read this story, I want to invite you to do your best to imagine being there. Uh, imagine, Imagine seeing these things and hearing these things as they unfold. All right, so here we go. Mark chapter two, we're just going to pick up right in verse one. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. If you've been around crew the last couple weeks, you know that Jesus has been busy in the gospel of Mark chapter one. He was uh, healing people. He, he, He called his first disciples. That's what we looked at a couple of weeks ago, him calling his first disciples to follow him. Then he heals this guy with an unclean spirit. Um, he ends up healing Simon's mother-in-law of a fever. Um, and then last week we looked at this passage where he cleansed this leper. And so Jesus has been pretty busy, moving quickly, doing really miraculous things. Um, And of course, last week, and you can see it right at the end of chapter one, Jesus heals this leper, tells the brother, don't tell anyone what I did. And what's the guy do? Talks about it with everybody. 
So uh, what happens, and Mark tells us right at the end of verse 45, he says, but, G, but the guy, he went out and began to freely talk about it, and he spread the news. And what happened? Uh, Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but had to be out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Jesus, at this point, has become something of a celebrity. Uh, people want to get around this guy. Um, and that's exactly what we see happen, is that word gets out on Instagram that Jesus has apparently uh, got an Airbnb back in Capernaum. He's back in his hometown, got an Airbnb there, and people are like, Jesus is in town, let's go see him. And so uh, a huge crowd gathers there, and apparently, Mark tells us, there's so many people that there's not even room at the door anymore. Um, People shoulder to shoulder, you're picturing like a concert scene. Like this makes us kind of COVID nervous right now, right? You're like so packed and people are, feel each other's breath on the back of your neck type of thing. Like just crazy packed. And so Mark continues in verse 3 and he says this. And he says, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him, referring to Jesus, because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him naturally. That was, a, you should be like, ha that what? They removed the roof. Um, and when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. I read this passage, and I gotta be honest, is this not the most guy thing to do ever? Four guys, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know, we don't know how old they are, right? We don't know, um, but I like to use my imagination. I just can't ha- help but imagine four frat bo- bros, they, they hear Jesus is at his Airbnb in town, and they're like, dude's been performing miracles. Let's go get Pete, the paralytic, the guy that's paralyzed. Let's go get our friend Pete. Let's take him to Jesus. So they're like, Pete, we're going to go to Jesus. Pete's laying on his bed, and he's like, okay. And they pick up Pete, and they carry him to, you know, to Jesus' Airbnb. Well, they can't get in through the front door. Um, and of course, the frat bros wearing their basketball jerseys, of course, as frat bros do. Um, and I can't help but just think, certainly if this were a group of women, they would have come up with a more intelligent solution than like, let's just get rid of the roof. Like, how do, we can't get in through the front door. I, I feel like a group of women would have been like, did you guys think about just asking people to move out of the way so you could just kind of get in? But nope, the guys are like, roof. So they go up. They're like, do you think he'll mind, Jesus will mind about us kind of like dancing? No, he's Jesus, he's friendly. Poof, poof, just break through the roof. And they drop the guy down through the roof in front of Jesus. If you, if you wondered, was this culturally acceptable? What do you think? Like, no, like this was crazy. This was crazy. But jokes aside, I mean, here's what's really admirable. These guys are going to incredible lengths to get their friend to Jesus. They're, they're not letting anything stop them. They're, we have to get him to Jesus. And who knows? I mean, Pete might have, I, we don't know his name's Pete. I just made it up. It's Pete, paralytic, I don't know. But Pete might have even been protesting. Like, guys, I don't know if this is such a good idea. I don't know how I feel about being dropped in through the roof. But either way, it doesn't matter. These four guys are getting their friend to Jesus, and they're not letting any obstacle stop them. 
So you can imagine the scene, plaster falling down from the ceiling. People are looking up like big bird up there. Oh no, it's just four frat guys making a hole in the ceiling and dropping their paralyzed friend through the ceiling. Okay, here he comes and there he drops. And so by the time, <laughs> the time that the paralytic reaches the floor, I have to imagine that the room was totally silent. And everyone's looking at Jesus, wondering, what's he going to do? So the first obstacle that we see in the passage is the crowd, these barriers to getting to Jesus. Well, how's Jesus going to respond? Is he going to be mad about the roof? What's he going to do? And this is where we see the second obstacle come up, skepticism. That's the second obstacle, picking up in verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? I wonder... What were you expecting Jesus to do before we read that verse? My guess is you probably weren't expecting him to say seemingly out of nowhere, your sins are forgiven. I mean, this is as, about as unexpected as Jesus turning to the frat bros and being like, you guys want to go get Dutch bros? Like, the disciples are probably turning to each other and they're like, what did he just say? That his sins are forgiven? Like, wh uh, where did that come from? Like, doesn't he know that everyone's kind of expecting some more healing magic to happen? Like, that's what he's been doing before, but now he's talking about sins being forgiven. Like, where did that come from? What's interesting is that Mark tells us that Jesus saw what? He saw their faith. He saw the faith of these four men who carried this paralytic. He possibly saw the faith of the paralytic too. We don't know exactly who he's speaking, out, speaking about. But the question is, how was it that Jesus saw their faith? He saw it in the actions that they were taking. And that kind of teaches us something about faith, doesn't it? I think we often think of faith as kind of this invisible thing this kind of belief that you have, this little light inside your heart, I don't know. But we think of it as something that you can't see, but it's clear in this passage, faith is something that's very clearly visible. In fact, I think it even teaches us that true faith, if you have faith, it takes action. Is your faith visible? I think something else we learn about it is that it causes you to do things others wouldn't normally do. Not exactly normal to put a hole in someone's roof, but, it kind, but that's what faith does. They so believed that Jesus could do something for their friend, that Jesus alone could do something, that they, they, would, they weren't like, get to the front door, let's turn around, we'll come back, hopefully he's available tomorrow. It's like, he's right there. We have, we have to get to him. We have to. 
And what's interesting is that Mark begins to contrast those four men with what he calls the scribes that are sitting in the room. These scribes that are filled, Mark tells us, with skepticism and questions. You may not be familiar with what a scribe is. I I certainly wasn't when I first read this passage. But But a scribe was the official interpreters of the Old Testament, kind of the the first half of the Bible. They were the interpreters of the Old Testament. They were responsible for the teaching, interpretation, and the regulation of these Old Testament laws. Basically, they were Bible police. Not fun (laughs) is how I think about them. Um, They were always telling you what you weren't doing right, and that's exactly what they're doing here. They heard what Jesus said about him forgiving sins, and they're like, up! Wrong. Only God can do that. And here's what's interesting. They're right. They're right. Only God can forgive sin. And so for Jesus to make the claim that he can forgive someone's sin is either the height of arrogance It's incredibly outrageous. Or if it's true, it's incredibly wonderful. So what does Jesus do in response to their skepticism? Verse 8. Immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things into your hearts? Which is easier to say, or which is easier rather, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? So, so Jesus poses this question to them, and did you notice what Mark's, Mark says about the skepticism that the scribes were having? Did you notice what he said about it? He, it's not like Jesus overhears them having a conversation and, you know, it's kind of eavesdropped on it. Nope. They hadn't said a single thing out loud since that guy had gotten dropped onto the floor. Mark says, Jesus perceived in his spirit what they were thinking. He just straight up heard their thoughts. <laughs> he heard their skepticism in his spirit. Read their minds, whatever you want to call it. Crazy stuff. God stuff, frankly. I mean, that fact alone, that like they're having these questions in, in their hearts and Jesus is like, why are you questioning things? They should have peed their pants right there. Like they'd be like, what? Like, oh yeah, yeah, I, I hear what you're thinking. Why are you questioning it? Who else other than God can know what a person is thinking? But here's what Jesus does. He decides in front of the entire crowd, right, packed, Shoulder to shoulder, tons of people. He decides he's going to put their skepticism to rest. And he poses this question to them. I'll read it again. He says, which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sons are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? I'm curious, how would you respond? Which do you think is easier to say? I would say, and I think the answer is, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Why? And I'll admit, 
Jesus' question is something of a riddle. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven because we're talking about like an invisible thing, right? Like you can't see that someone's sins are forgiven. It's something you, you can't see with your eyes. But to say take up your bed and walk, well, we're going to find out real quick if, <laughs> if you can do that. <laughs> That's very visible. Now, in one sense, both things are utterly impossible, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? And so Jesus, I think, is making points. He's like, which is easier to say? Well, it's easier to say forgiveness of sins, but both are God things, right? But here's what Jesus says. He goes on, verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. He says, you want me to prove that, I, that the first thing I said actually is true? Okay. You said, we think both of those things are impossible. I'll show you that I can do both of them. Get up, Pete. Pick up your bed. Go home. So Jesus is staking all of his credibility, all of his reputation on this very moment. Like if he's playing poker, Jesus just pushed all the chips in. Let's see what happens. Well, this is where Jesus' identity is revealed in verse 12. He rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Best Airbnb visit ever. What? No. Are you serious? Paralytic Pete got up, took his bed. He got dropped in through the ceiling and the brother walked out on two feet. Crazy. And remember, I mean, I just think about, just picturing the scene. I'm like, remember how the door, like the whole house was so packed, even the front door, they couldn't even get in. Can't you just imagine just like the Red Sea parting for Pete as he walks through and they're all just like, okay, go ahead, Pete. Like, dude just walks out, no problem, even though he couldn't get in to begin with. And again, I, I want to just remind you, like the Gospels, like Mark's gospel, these are eyewitness accounts. These aren't fabricated stories like someone was like, what would be a cool story to make up about Jesus? Oh, we could have paralytic Pete and, you know, and the frat bros, drop them down. Like, um, I've ruined this story for you. We don't, I don't think they actually were frat bros. Anyway, um, but you know what I mean? Like, these aren't written, these aren't made up fairy tales. These are like news reports. I mean, these, there would have been people not long after this, who would read Mark's gospel and they would have been like, dude, my uncle was there. My uncle was there that day. He saw that happen. My brother was one of the frat guys that brought him there. Like that was my brother that did that. Like they knew people that were there. This really happened and the entire room is left stunned, glorifying God. They, they say that they've never seen anyone do the things that Jesus is doing. He is unlike any other. And so Jesus, his authority to forgive sins, proven. 
Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. His identity revealed. He's God. He's God. The, the scribes ask, who can forgive sins but God alone? And we're invited to supply the answer to the question. Who can forgive sins? His name's Jesus. He's God. And he can forgive sins. So what's this story really about? Is it about a paralyzed guy that got healed? Actually, I would say no. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus who is God and who has the authority to forgive sins and the obstacles that stood in the way of people getting close to him. That's what the story is about. And I think that there's, there's at least three applications that came to mind for me as I, as I think about what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us to apply this story? What do we take away from it? I think the first thing, and the one that jumps out to me perhaps the most from this story, is, that, is this, this first application point. Because Jesus can forgive sin, we should carry others to him. We should carry others to him. The, the story is, is actually, I think, an incredible picture of what, does it mean, like what it means to be a Christian. What's it look like to be a Christian? Carrying other people to Jesus so that he can heal their greatest need. And I think that that's an important thing to even pay attention to in the story. The paralytics, and I think we're, we're inclined to see, this, see it this way, the paralytic's greatest need wasn't to have his body healed. His greatest need was to have his sin forgiven. And even though Jesus did heal his body, his priority and his reason for coming was to forgive his sin. I wonder if you're a Christian are you as passionate about carrying other people to Jesus as the men in this story? I mean, that's a, that's a challenging question for me to think about. I would much rather, um, <laughs> I'd much rather people be like, hey, I'd really like to get to know Jesus. Will you help me? I'd be like, oh, for sure. Sad part is, that's never happened to me. <laughs> Almost ever. But I think I'm challenged by these guys. There's such a determination and urgency, just a passion for them that they want to get their friend to Jesus and they don't want to let anything stop them. And I wonder if you're not passionate about carrying other people to Jesus, I wonder if you really know him then. Are you inviting people in your dorm? Are you inviting people like who live next to you? Are you inviting your, your roommate to community group with you? Have, have you thought about inviting people that you've met in class to maybe join you for a first year getaway this weekend? Have you thought about inviting people on your sports team to church with you? 
Are you asking them about their lives? Are you asking them about their spiritual beliefs? I mean, I just, I look around this room. There's a lot of empty chairs in here. And I just think about who, who might be sitting in the, in the empty chair near you? Who, who might fill that chair? Because you took the initiative to invite them. To, to actually say, I would love for you to co- join me at crew or join me at church. I would love for you to, I, I, Jesus has changed my life. Would you want to join me sometime? Just check things out, no pressure. I want to see these chairs filled. Not so that this room feels bigger or there's more people in it, but because I know that there are people on our campuses. There are people who live near you. There are people you work with. There are people you're in class with. They desperately need Jesus. You haven't met a person that doesn't need him. And you actually might be one of the only people in their entire world that could actually introduce them to him. Are you passionate about carrying other people to him? We should be. Can I challenge you? Just in the next week, just this way of application, because it's too easy to read passages and be like, wow, that's really cool, and you walk away and do nothing with it. I think a great application from this passage even in the next week for you, might just be invite someone you know. Invite someone to crew with you next week. Invite someone to first your getaway with you tomorrow. Ask them what their plans are when you see them tomorrow and they say nothing. You say, you're coming with me. Me and my friends, we're gonna pick you up, throw you in our car. We're not even asking if you wanna come. We're just shoving you in the car. That would be a biblical application, actually, of this text. You just throw, you just start kidnapping people and bringing them. Okay, you know I tease, right? No, that's not what we, but you know what I mean, though? Like, for real. Invite them to your community group. Just take a step of faith. Here's a second application. Because Jesus can forgive sin, we can come to him in faith as broken people. We can come to him in faith as broken people. Answer this question for me, just, just between you and me, silently. I'll read your thoughts. No, I won't, because I'm not God, okay? But wh- why, did, why did Jesus forgive the paralytic sin? Why? What, what prompted Jesus to forgive his sin. What is it that Jesus saw? Faith. He saw their faith. And if you want new life, whether you identify as a Christian or you've never started a relationship with God, you've never placed your faith in Jesus, if you want your sin forgiven, the only thing you need to do is come to Jesus in faith. To say, I I believe that you're God. I believe you have the authority to forgive sin. He will forgive you. That's it. There's no proving yourself. There's no get your act together for... You can come, broken as you are, 
you can come to him in faith. And what's amazing is, here, here's what I think is a significant thing just to point out. Did Jesus heal, heal the paralytic's body because he came to him in faith? I would say no. It, it, well, and I want to qualify it. Again, Jesus' priority wasn't in healing the guy's body. Jesus healed his body to prove that he could forgive sin, right? But I think we always, we can tend to look at these healing kinds of stories and be like, see, Jesus, whenever people come to him, he always heals, always. And that's a dangerous conclusion to come to when we inevitably encounter moments and circumstances in our lives when we want Jesus to heal and we feel like, and I've even heard people say, I have a friend who has paralyzed children and I've heard people say to him, if you only had enough faith, Jesus would heal them. That is false and cruel and utterly untrue. If someone's ever said that to you, I'm so sorry. It's not biblical. It's not true. It's not like, it's not the quality of your faith that determines what Jesus does. It's the object of your faith. It's not how good it is, how strong it is. Nope. It's the fact that you believe Jesus, that he forgives your sins, however strong or weak that faith is. And maybe he'll do other miraculous things in your life. Maybe he won't. But the greatest thing is that he'll do the greatest miracle in your life. And that's forgive your sin. Here's the third application. Because Jesus can forgive sin, we should remove obstacles to get closer to him. We, we talked a lot about obstacles tonight. And I asked you at the beginning, I said, what obstacles are keeping you from getting closer to Jesus? If you were to place yourself in this story, who would you most identify with? You know, maybe you're like one of the four men, the four frat bros, as I've been calling them. Maybe you're like one of them, and you've been, you're, you're out there. You're really trying to get people you love and care about to Jesus. Some of you are like the paralytic. You need healing and your sins forgiven. Others of you are maybe like the scribes, genuinely. You're, you're skeptical about Jesus and Christianity. Um, you're in good company. A lot of us have been there or are there as well. We have doubts and questions. Maybe you even wonder, is this entire book just a giant lie? But others of you, maybe even, I think most of you, I think you're like the crowd. You're like the crowd that fills the house. Because, and the reason I say that is, some of you, you've been around Christianity for a while. Maybe you've even been around crew for a bit. You, you've been checking things out. You're, you're learning about who Jesus is. But you're not all in. You prefer to stand close enough to learn about Jesus, but you're not in enough to follow him or to bring others to him. You know, maybe you come here on Thursday nights when it's convenient for your schedule. Maybe you go to church when it uh, accommodates your schedule, maybe even community group, but you're not serious about following Jesus. And, and frankly, other things are just way more important to you. 
what does all in look like when it comes to following Jesus? I think it looks a lot of ways. Some of the ways that come to mind for me when I, when I think about what it looked like for me to go all in, it started by opening this book for myself. And I'll be honest, when I started reading this thing, I was like, I don't understand a sentence. But then I started asking friends who could help me understand it. And I started going to community groups where I just got to ask. And I asked the dumbest questions you've ever heard. I didn't understand anything. But it started by opening this book. Another thing I think it means is opening this book with other people here. Other people who want to be all in and following Jesus. I think that's part of what it means to go in. I think what it definitely means to be all in, it means digging a hole through a freaking roof to get other people to Jesus. Those guys are all in. It means recognizing that there is no one and no other thing that can make you whole other than Christ. Being part of the crowd around Jesus isn't the same as being a follower of Jesus. Being in the crowd isn't the same as being a follower. And I I don't mean to be nasty, but don't make the mistake of thinking just because you're here, you're a follower of Jesus. We're a crowd. Jesus calls us to higher commitment, higher discipleship, higher following of him. And so I wonder for you, genuinely, why are you here tonight? Why are you here? What are you here to get? Is, it, is, is crew for you just kind of this social event? We're fun, I think. Um, I hope. <laughs> but like, is it just a social thing? Or for you, is coming here on a Thursday night, is it really about growing closer to Jesus? And again, just I think a question for you to think about genuinely and maybe even think about this weekend, what are the obstacles that are keeping you from getting closer to him? And to what lengths are you going to go to get them out of your way? What about you coming to first year getaway this weekend? I realize you might have obstacles to you coming. Some of you psychos who claim that you're going to do homework on a Friday night, you're messed up. We need to help you, first of all, okay? But... But here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying first-year getaway is going to make you closer to Jesus. I, I I hope it's encouraging. I hope it's fun. I hope that you feel like it's, you know, it helps you grow closer to God. But here's what I actually think will help you get closer to Jesus and why first year getaway helps. It's not the event that matters. I think you coming brings you into a relationship with other people who will help you get closer to Christ. People who you need in your life and they genuinely need you in theirs that's what first year getaway is going to do it helps connect us to one another so that we can pursue christ together will you use this school year to carry other people to jesus i hope every time you see an empty chair near you here at crew that you'll be challenged to think who could I bring to help fill those chairs? Who's not here that I know that they need to be here? What are you going to do this year to get obstacles out of your way so that you can get closer to him? Whatever they are, I pray you will remove them. I pray I will too for me. Let's pray.
God, we ask that you would work in our lives. Jesus, we thank you that you, that you are God and that you have the authority and the desire, God, to, to, to forgive us of our sin, God, and to give us new life. God, we pray that you would help us be the kinds of people that if we're Christians, that we would be the kinds of Christ followers who would carry other people to you, that we would actually care about other people in such a way that we would just think, I have to help. I, have, I gotta take my friend. I gotta tell them about Jesus. They need him. And I pray that we would be the kind of Christ followers too, that we would remove every obstacle in our ways, God, so that we could follow you and know you more. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us, that you invite us to come to you with our empty hands and only to come to you in faith and that you'll receive us, heal us, and redeem us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.